Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaley Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone. Welcome back to This is Bipolar. I am so excited because we are recording this for World Bipolar Day. And we just, I wanted to bring on some of my friends to talk about um, hypomania and mania today because I really feel like it's one of the most misunderstood parts of bipolar disorder and also it is the thing that we need to be able to take to the doctors to get a diagnosis. So I am way ahead of myself. If you haven't listened before, my name is Shaylee Hugendorn. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a mom, an elementary school teacher, and a mental health advocate. And I live with bipolar 2 disorder. Disorder. <laughs> Anyways, um, I would love first um, for my friend Rudy, could you introduce yourself again? Hey everyone, I'm Rudy Caceres. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I am a mental health speaker, video creator. I do lots of live streams and all kinds of fun stuff, podcasting. And so I love talking about my story. I don't have a bipolar one or two, so 1.5, let's say. Perfect. <laughs> love it. That's amazing. Yes. And I am going to put all the handles of our friends down below. And also I've interviewed them individually. So go back and listen to those to hear their, their full, full story. Tatiana, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, my name is Tatiana. I am um, a mental health case manager. So I work for a nonprofit and I also create content online under having bipolar, kind of sharing my experience and my story and what's helped me along the way. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really, thank you both so much, so, so much for being here. Um, I wanted to start off by talking to each of you, just telling me your experiences at the beginning of an episode. Maybe one, do you notice them, the, the start of something? Or two, does it come on quickly? And I'd love to start with you, Rudy. Could you tell me a little bit about your experiences? Yeah, I'm a little weird because the past two manic episodes yeah. lasted about a day. And the wow. first one lasted a little over two months. And so, <laughs> and the first, the last two just came out of nowhere. The first one, I was going through a lot of stress at college, and I was um, I was actually president of my Active Minds chapter, which is a organization and nonprofit in the um, United States that um, talks about college mental health. And I was the president, and it was a big responsibility for me. And I was starting to get overwhelmed with that, but also feel underappreciated for the work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a therapist, and I was like going back and forth with her and it was just a really really a tense time and so i never had been manic before that and yeah. so i didn't really know the 
the signs and I never considered myself bipolar. And so it took a while before I realized, hey, this sounds kind of like a manic mm. episode. Yeah, yeah. And so that episode, was that one of the longer ones or was that like your short one? Yeah, yeah. And I remember the day that I crashed, it was at the end of the semester and I was talking mm. to my club advisor and she was like, Rudy, like you have all this passion and energy. And she didn't know that I was manic. and. She's like, you, you should go on to college, get your degree, get yourself a real job and treat this mental health advocacy as a side thing. And right. I was just like, no, like, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep um, like, like sharing my story and reaching bigger and bigger audiences. You don't get it. You're trying to hold me back. Yeah. And finally, it just got to me like, maybe she's right. Maybe I've been wasting my time. Maybe I need to do like, get like a real career and all this other stuff and just like put the mental health advocacy to the side. And I just had the worst depression afterwards. It took a long mm -hmm. time yeah. for me to get out of it. And thankfully I did, but mm -hmm. yeah, that was quite the experience. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And during that time when you thought you wanted to reach a bigger and bigger audience, did you, would that, would you consider that kind of uh, something you would think of? regularly or were you starting to get like grandiose ideas I know that's a symptom where you where I start to think like I'm convinced I'm going to change the world or this is the thing and I heard you really clearly when you said like when the person said that to you like I feel like people I'm like they don't get it like I know something they don't know and so it's interesting that you were able to listen to her but yeah do you think it was some grandiose thinking or a part of the mania yeah, because to me, everyone else was sick. I was the one who was reaching this higher consciousness and was reaching my potential. I had been so depressed up until then, and I finally felt like I had cured myself of the depression. This is my true form, yeah. who can stand up for myself and has confidence and has energy and can do all the things that I say I'm going to do. And it was quite the experience. I remember one time I was supposed to, I was just going up to every teacher organization say like, hey, can I share my story? And I was taking a psychology class and, and I told the professor like, hey, can I share my story? And then she was like, sure, at the end of the semester. And I would just stop going to classes when I was manic. I just didn't think yeah. I'd need any of that. And I found out that she was going to drop me. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, I, I'll be fine. Like, I'd still take the test. I could still take the finals. Yeah. I don't need to be here every week and I want to share my story at the end you told me I would yeah. and I, she was like like no and I was like oh. you need we need to go to the department chair right now yeah. and talk to him and I can convince him and we did and wow. I did yeah. I, I was able to stay in the class and I shared my story at the end after I'd had that crash and it was, <laughs> it was just a weird time in my life where I thought I can get away with everything yeah, yeah, it, it's so true, right? I just feel, oh, I wish I could bottle up the teeny little bit of that. Do you know what I mean? It gets out of control, but the teeny bit of confidence is 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 very nice. How about you, Tatiana? Do you have um, warning signs? Your first, um, tell me about maybe your first manic episode. Did you know what was happening? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have warning signs that I can identify now. Um, but my first manic episode was really hard for me to identify because I'm, especially at that point in my life, I was 
really just this upbeat, high energy, go-getting person anyways. So identifying what was the beginnings of a manic episode and what was just me was really tough. And I think especially more so for other people looking in. Um, But I mean, one of the first things that will happen is I'll talk really, really fast. There'll be no breaks in between. I'll be talking like this and I'll be telling you all these things and I'm barely even breathing. You know, and so that'll be something that most of my close friends or loved ones now will be like, oh, she, she doesn't talk that way normally, (laughs) you know, um, especially because people can't normally get a word in edgewise with me. And so, especially then, yeah. um, (laughs) and so that'll happen. And then the next thing usually is I'll get at least at like, specifically at that time, my first episode I was already doing a lot. So I had, at that time in my life, I was still doing advocacy actually, but I was doing advocacy for the gender gap in technology. I was working in computer science and education and I was already doing a lot. I had partnered with Microsoft and I was teaching at universities. And so to identify the parts of me that were healthy and go-getting versus the parts of me that started to become really grandiose. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll re- I remember at one point I had convinced myself that I was going to develop a piece of computer technology that would be inserted into the brain that would allow for you to stabilize your moods and your uh, mental health without medication. And I was convinced that I was going to do it. And I was doing all this research for it. And I was telling people like, look at this thing I'm going to invent, even though I knew nothing about any of this. I was completely underqualified and not qualified at all. I was reading these massive research articles, not understanding or comprehending any of it. Just feeling like I'm reading it, so I'm learning and I'm going to, you know, um, just completely not in touch with the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when my manic episodes reach like full blown, full blown mania, I'll experience delusional thinking. So Mm. there have been times where I thought I could fly. I'll have auditory hallucinations. I'll be able to hear things. My last one, I was in bed and I was trying to sleep and I swear to God, I could hear whales kind of like I was under the ocean. Yeah. This will happen sometimes. And I I live with my partner now and I'll, and I'll knock him over and I'll say, are you hearing that? to like almost double check to see either I am hearing something that's weird and I shouldn't be hearing, or I'm hearing something that nobody else is hearing. And that's a red flag. Um, I've had times where I've thought that people like, I'll get extreme paranoia. I've had times where like, I've been really nervous about all the technology in my house, thinking that like people are watching me through my cameras. And that's something that will still happen if I'm in an incline in mood is like one of the first things that I'll get paranoid about partially because I have a background in computer science is that Mm. I will, I'm being hacked or watched by something that Ah. I can't control. And so, um, I just, I mean, one of the times I was manic, I literally was like, I ran out of my house. My boyfriend was with me. It was nighttime. I ran out trying. I honestly don't remember much of it. I remember being really, really overwhelmed and just very jittery. And like, I couldn't sit still usually like I'll pace a lot. Mm. Um, And then I ran out of the house and I remember he was following me, trying to get me back inside, but I don't really have any memory of what exactly was going on. Like in my brain, I just know that I needed to escape. It might have been that like when I'm manic, I have this big fear of like being hospitalized. 
Yeah. Um, not because I've had a bad experience, but just because I'm afraid of being trapped and almost losing this free feeling that I have. Yeah. And so there have been times where I'm manic and I know that other people know that I'm manic and I don't want them to know that I'm manic. And so I'm trying to run away because I think, oh, if they think I'm manic, then they're going to want to institutionalize me or tell me that whatever's going on isn't real. And so, yeah, my mania just yeah. gets there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I think for our listeners that don't have bipolar or are wondering if they do, or um, people that think they might love someone with bipolar disorder, um, what Tatiana is speaking to is mania. And then something that I experience is hypomania. And so it's just a little bit, little bit more muted. So how I kind of explain it, I have, you know, someone that I know would go on a shopping spree and like spend everything right but I might go and do it's out of character but it's like a couple hundred dollars right I know someone like when I've put it out on Instagram like has bought a boat or started a band and they can't play an instrument or those kind of things um and I it's just a little bit more muted and that's not to say that it's better because generally the depressions um, sometimes are are way lower. It just depends. So just in case, I wanted to to define that. Um, yeah, you brought up something really really interesting about the just paranoia or overthinking. Rudy, have you had any paranoia, or do you? What's something that um, do you have a recurring like thought or something you kind of get hyper fixated on when uh, manic or a little bit higher? No, not really. No? So we can we can move ahead. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just so curious about it because mine it it changes up, but I know that it really affected some of my my friendships because I would think like either they were asking too much of me or they didn't like me as like my big thing was they didn't like me as much as I liked them which made me then like feel bad. Right. And then I try to, you know, what can I do to make them, make them like me, like me so much. Um, so Rudy, I'm wondering um, what does it, if you can remember to the big one or you, your small one. So you've had two, two experiences. Three. Three. Okay. Tell me about how it felt in your body um, when you had the other one. So you had a one day, you had the longer one. What was the third one? third one was all the way back in 2016 and i remember waking up around 10 30 p.m so i didn't even uh, wake up in the morning and just being like i'm manic yeah i knew you knew yeah by that uh -huh. time yeah i knew and so i just stayed up all night and i I'd actually gotten paid that day too. I'm on disability from um, the VA, the Veterans yeah. Administration, um, and so I'm. I was like, "Hell yeah, I'm going to spend a bunch of money today." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, thankfully, I was. I paid my rent first, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how I was. And I remember I was actually going to call my landlord to give my notice because I, I had lived there for a year and tell them that um i don't want to live here anymore and i was going to live with a friend in a um abandoned building basically that we were turning into a theater yeah to put on plays and he was already living there and i was going to join him in a, in a different part of the, the theater just like okay yeah <laughs> and 
I had it all figured out. I was, and I, I really, at the time, like I really wanted to support this theater because I'm, I really believe in the arts and we didn't really have anything like that in, in my community. And I remember the afternoon of we're all hanging out, me, him, the actors, and he says something that offends me and makes me feel less than. And I walked out of the theater, didn't even tell him I was leaving, walked around, bought a new phone <laughs> and for like miles and miles came back in the evening time yeah. where he was wondering where I was and told him, do not ever talk to me like that ever. And we got into this big fight and not physical fight, but I, I yeah. left and that was it. And thankfully I came to my senses and, and stayed in my, my current apartment and didn't move into <laughs> an, a abandoned building basically. But yeah, that was, that was another weird time in my life. And I woke up the next day, not manic anymore. Wow. That is fascinating. Yeah. You, um, you bring up something, a couple things that are really important and that is sleep. <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, you said that you stayed up all night and that is one of my first signs. First signs are I am usually pretty lethargic in the morning because of the medication that I take and I'll know that something's up when I just wake up and it's almost like my eyes are like, bing, let's go. Right. Tatiana does, how does your sleep get affected? Does it come on gradually? Um, do you lose sleep gradually? How do you, um, record, like, do, do you experience that? Yeah, no, I'll know that I'm higher energy. I'm a nighttime person. My meds also make me very drowsy in the morning. And I'll know that um, I have to keep a very strict sleep schedule because if my sleep goes, I am just more likely to fall into that yeah. mood. Um, and so like, honestly, a few weeks ago, I'm, I take medication, but to be honest, I think that I'm always kind of doing mini cycles, but not okay. a here as my normal cycles, but they're noticeable in pattern. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I had noticed that I was playing video games, which I don't normally do, but every now and then I like to just lose my mind and yeah. to them. And normally I go to bed around 1030. Um, but all of a sudden it was 3am. Wow. And I'll notice that I'm starting to get into higher energy when I don't get tired, when I normally do, when I start to lose time, um, yeah. because I'm just moving and going and going. And suddenly it was 8am two seconds ago, and now it's 4am. And what happened to all that time? Yeah. It time just doesn't feel the same. Everything moves so, so quickly. And so once I start to lose time and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, it was supposed to be that. And I'm staying up later because usually it's, it's not even that like I'm staying up on purpose. It's that I get in fixed and engrossed in something. And then all of a sudden time goes and I think, oh, well, it's already 3am. Why go to sleep now? I have to be up anyways. And so then I just stay up and yeah. then I have a cup of coffee. Cause I think that, oh, you know, I would normally have a cup of coffee and that's just gonna <laughs> prolong that episode. Um, and so for me, it's just kind of like all of a sudden I start losing time and I mm. notice that oh, I haven't been going to bed when I normally do. And I'm not getting tired when I normally get tired yeah. during the day. I don't need the same pick-me-ups that I need. Yeah, you know? That's where I'll start to notice that something just isn't going right inside of me. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that hit so hard when you said losing, losing hours or losing time and just the hyper-focus of something. I just feel like I get hyper-focused on one or a whole bunch of, of Often different. Obsessed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and obsessed for me is the right word. I'll, yeah. I just obsess over something that normally I probably wouldn't even obsess over to be completely honest. And it's usually a very, very specific task. It's not something general, like the brain chip task. That was my obsession forever. And it's not anything general or like special. It's just something totally random that my grandiose ideas decided Uh, that that's the thing that's going to make my life, you know? And how did that, I'm curious, how, how long did that fixation on making that happen? Was it something quick? Was it days, weeks? Do you remember? Honestly, I really couldn't tell you, honestly, mm. like, especially in the beginning of my manic episodes before I was on medication, it's so blurry in terms of how long it was. Yep. It could have been two weeks. Um, because I remember at that time I was traveling with my family for a funeral service and we were in Maine for a while. And I don't remember the length of time, but I remember being at the hotel we were staying at in Maine and being in the lobby and on my computer, reading all these research articles and using their printer to print them out and highlighting things. It was all nonsense. I didn't understand any of it. I was highlighting. Yeah. Yes. To be frank with you. Yeah. Um, and I have no real remembrance of how long that happened for because it just all kind of happened all at the same time it almost felt like wow yeah yeah oh that's that's fascinating I find if I don't set alarms like I might forget to pick up my kids or if I don't set an alarm like this is actually a time that people eat (laughs) that I that I forget yeah do you forget to eat or um uh, when you when you were manic Rudy do, yeah. you, do you get uh, all focused on something I tend to eat too much and a lot of junk yeah yeah oh and I yeah I remember um especially during the first time like I was like twice the size and some of that was was due to meds but yeah. I was just just like like that just constantly eating i eat like an entire pizzas by myself um and then when i lived alone and i was manic yeah it was even worse because then it's like this all this food is mine i'm going to eat all the food and not feel bad about it and yeah and and like overspend on food go out to restaurants by myself and just spend a hundred dollars and yeah that's that's me Yeah, I'm all or nothing, right? So then I wouldn't eat and then I'd eat a whole bunch. And then, but it was really weird for me because I didn't gain weight, but that's because I didn't sleep. So my metabolism was going way more, which was really interesting. But I just grab like for carbs or or, or things like that. Uh, preparing something just seemed really, really hard uh, pre-medication. That's, that's interesting. One thing I wanted to ask you both about So I didn't realize this until I was diagnosed, but I used to call the, during these times, I used to call it my spidey senses. And what happens to me is what I start to notice when I get uh, hypomanic is my uh, sight, like everything is brighter, more beautiful. I can hear things from really far away. 
and and also like smells and I just I call it my spidey senses because just everything is kind of almost tingly like I'm much more aware of the sun is brighter and it's not so much that it um, stops me from going around my daily things, but I just feel more, I don't know, sensitive to it. And sometimes it would, it would overwhelm me. Tatiana, do you have spidey senses or what I now know as sensory <laughs> issues? Oh my, do I have sensory issues? You're <laughs> preaching to the choir. Um, I, when I'm manic, it feels like static through my whole body, kind mm. of like that, just electricity, just like that just exploding all throughout. And I'm very, I'm, I think normally I'm quite sensory. Um, and I think that just has to do more with my like ADHD than anything. But yeah. when I'm manic, I'm much more prone to be irritable. And so what will happen is I will get overwhelmed by a sensory thing. And then that'll make me irritable, which then will make me that much more sensitive to all of it. Because yeah. I'm already kind of in a high strung place because usually my episodes are induced by some sort of stressor. And okay. so even when I'm manic, it's like a manic stress. It's like I'm trying to heal something inside of me by um with external stimuli and external validations. Yeah, yeah. So like when I'm manic, it's typically if I'm getting that like staticky feeling in that sixth sense, it's just because I'm so irritable from yeah. being manic and not sleeping and not eating and all of these things that I'm not in general taking care of myself and my mania will go from like I'm being so productive and I'm doing so great and I'm doing all these things and I feel like the best version of myself and I'm hot and I'm sexy and I'm the smartest yeah best you I fucking hate everyone everybody go away <laughs> like don't look at me the wrong way and I'm gonna run down the street and you will not mess with me so she, she goes from zero to a hundred really, really quick in this. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Rudy, do you have sensory, sensory things when you feel manic or just any time, um, you know, living with bipolar? Yeah, I definitely have like this energy like racing through my body and like, I just feel like heightened sense of passion. Like I just like, it's like I feel larger than myself and I can just do anything and like yeah like I like just everything just feels more intense and just things are brighter like I can hear more and I just feel more in tune feel more focused yeah. I know some people like they just get erratic and they're all over the place but for me it's like I come up with not always the greatest ideas, but I'm at least <laughs> able to come up with ideas. Whereas yeah. usually I like my mind is just racing all over the place. It's hard to really like pin myself down and do things. Like I, I, I've gotten a grant one time when I was manic. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, there's, there's definitely some pluses and minuses. This, and it's just, it's just so difficult to try to bottle that up. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like if you're no longer manic, you like you miss it. But then um when you're manic, it's just like becomes too much after a while. Yeah. And so we when we're depressed, we sometimes trick ourselves to thinking like, oh, if I was only manic, I could do this and that. But like only just a little bit manic. I'll be yeah. I'll be better next time. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. I when I'm depressed, I forget all the bad things about hypomania and I romanticize it right like I'm like I romantic because it feels so 
horrible to be to be depressed you don't get any of those zings of 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 goodness and so I can see like I know a lot of people um judge or wonder like how could someone stop taking their medication like uh you know really uh, yeah, they have such a negative view of people like that. But I want to explain to folks, of course, don't go off your medication. Of course, it isn't a great choice. But I think it's really important for people to understand why. It's not, we're we're just uh, ch chasing something better than this horrible, horrible depression. Um, right. I, I was really relating to what you said, Rudy, about projects. So since even before, and since medicated, and I don't know if this is because it's hypomania, I'm not sure. But I too was able to do big things and good things. And I don't think I could have done them on the level that I did um, without uh, the hypomania. And so like I, okay, I've I just started deciding that I liked event planning. I have no background. In fact, my parents were hippies and we didn't even have like those organized birthday parties or anything. Like I didn't have any background, but I love beautiful things and I am a gatherer and a major extrovert. And so um, I was doing these, these events at, at the church, just small events. And then I had this idea. And I, I was doing a lot of work with raising money for like human trafficking. And I was really passionate about it. Um, and so I decided that I was going to do a fashion show, but it was going to be like regular folks. And it was going to be like all the way up to size 25. It was going to be very um, diverse. I wanted like a whole section of folks that wore like their cultural wear. I just, it was huge. And and at first, and a bunch of people didn't think I could do it, but I have a few people that are like, you can, like you said, Rudy, you're very charismatic and you can get people on board when you're that excited about something, right? So in two months, so let's just say like a wedding takes like a year to plan. We know like these kind of things. So in two months, I had 85 models. <laughs> I had gone out and I had no budget. The church was giving me a couple of thousand dollars. I put out a $10,000 event because I had uh, myself and others went to businesses and got all the free stuff and it, just the contacts. And we ended up making like, you know, 10 grand and be able to, to give it to things. So it, it was something that I could do within this. Like I was able to rein it in and, and do that. And I think, What's hard about that is that you get like a lot of compliments and stuff. So it, it like feeds in it. But then what happens is probably almost two months after, like for two months, I could function and do the things I had to do, but then that was it. So there was always a cost for me for the, the big projects. Now, if I was to do that, I, I feel like I could still tackle it, but I would give time. Like, I feel like I... I don't, um, I, I have no sense of how long something will take, which is uh, really, really, really hard when you commit to something like that, for sure. So I hear what you're saying is there are, there's like good to it until there isn't. And with me, I, I, I don't know when to stop. Like if only there was that invisible line that you were like, hey, if I get to here and then rein it in, it would be okay. But there's not all of a sudden I'm like leaping over this, this, um, this line. But yeah, that's, 
Yeah. I would love to hear like, what is the most like out of character thing you have done or, and, or what is something like maybe you've purchased that you thought was like life changing or, um, you know, that you wouldn't purchase a lot of, or uh, purchase it at all. Um, Tatiana, I'd love to hear that something out of character and maybe a purchase if there was. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm a regular shopper. That is nothing to do with my bipolar. <laughs> I love a dopamine fix. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I think the most manic that I have been was probably before I was medicated. And it was actually during my first hospitalization. Um, I, my mania goes from really great to really super unpleasant very quickly. Um, start off, I'm in a really good mood. I'm being super productive. I'm getting a lot done to suddenly I'm not sleeping. I'm starting to see or hear things. I'm starting to have these grandiose ideas and not realize that they're bigger than what I can accomplish. And my mania for me is like, honestly, really scary. I would rather be depressed to be completely honest with you than be manic. Um, and during this one hospital stay, my, I had a roommate, which wasn't normal. Most people had rooms to themselves, but I had a roommate and she was sleeping because it was nighttime, but I was up and I was like wrapped in my blanket and I was walking in the corner of the room, just like pacing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and having these delusions of this superhero who I'd called squirrel girl. Okay. I was just like, okay, squirrel girl, she's going to save me. She's coming. She's going to save me because squirrel girl keeps people from going nuts was kind of the wow yeah I I love a pun even when I'm mentally ill I can appreciate a good pun apparently because this had been this character that I had been coming up with and I was running back and forth trying to like wait for her to come and she was going to save me and she was going to help me calm down and she was going to make everything better um and then there was even a time after that um where I had thought like um, that if I killed myself, I would be reborn back into this pure being that didn't have all these problems. And I would be almost saved in a way. Um, and so there, there weren't times of extreme purchases, but there were times of just extreme, um, not being in touch with reality. And just for me, the scariest, because that's where I've been at the most risk of harming myself. I mean, the time where I believed I could fly. And so, you know, just times where I'm literally not in my right mind and not really in control of what is going on with me at all. And those are the highest highs is when it gets to that point where I just am not in touch with reality in a way where I can like identify or take care of myself. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for being completely honest and vulnerable about that, because I think that one of the things um, that is, you know, the most misunderstood or misconceptions is that it's good and fun and something that people would want to experience. I know there's been a lot of stuff on TikTok lately, right? Just, you know, riding the high or people that are using mania, not in the, in the, um, medical way and talking about it. And I I have heard from other people how, how frightening it is and how scary it is. And I think that's why I, I try to be really careful when I talk about it, because there sometimes, and 
I used to just focus on the the good part of it, but I just I just want to thank you for educating folks about that and just being being honest because I feel like there are some things where like I don't carry shame about it anymore, but just were like embarrassing. I remember I thought I was a matchmaker and I went to like a friend's house and then the guy a couple doors down, George didn't know him barely. And I was convinced that they were together. So you have to go back and like kind of apologize or explain or ghost them (laughs) depending on what it is. But yeah, Um, Rudy, what would be... um, what would be the most negative thing that you think um, about being manic? Um, I mean, for me, like I can definitely be more abrasive, more aggressive, and just flat out mean, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so I, and it comes from just thinking that everyone's against me. People want to box me in and tell me I'm sick and just, I see the greatness in me and others don't. And that just really grinds my gears. And like, I, I just act out and I just, anyone who doesn't get it is just like the enemy. And I don't like being that person. I obviously like, I like being nice, like doing good things and being compassionate. So I feel like it, it heightens the worst parts of my personality because those things exist manic or not they're just amplified much much worse when i am manic yeah 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 i i hear you with that and then with me um i didn't recognize before the anger and aggression that that came with it um i shoot down everyone's ideas because i feel like i've thought of everything and they you know and i've thought of everything and mine's the best i don't give people like the time of day and just like how you mentored, you just don't feel appreciated for the greatness that you're really sitting in and feeling at that at that time. Yeah, I think that's something too that I didn't really speak about before. And I used to be kind of embarrassed about because also it doesn't look good to be like an angry person. And then on top of that, being a woman and I, uh, you know, I am in faith communities. So then there's like that extra, like being nice or good. And, um, I just carried a lot of shame about that. And I just thought it was my, you know, who I was, it was in my core. And I found it so freeing when I got my diagnosis and started talking to other people and reading and listening about that. Oh, this is a symptom, right? This isn't who I am at the core. Like I, I am a, I believe I am, you know, a kind person. And so I think that's really hard for people to explain. And sometimes like I was telling my therapist, I was getting all down about it. I was like, you know, if I had a different disease, right. Or a different illness. And one of the symptoms was maybe like, I don't know, I'm going to say something random, but like getting uh, scabs or like a bleeding or like something like that, it would invoke empathy, people would want to help take care of me, all of those things. But when your symptom is aggression and anger, there's not a lot of empathy there, right? People think it's something that you should be able to control. And so I was just I was kind of like having a mini therapy tantrum. I was just like, it's just not fair because I can tell the people I love around me and they can, um, they can understand it, but doesn't mean I don't still hurt their feelings. Right. 
And so the people around me just, just get the, the, the brunt of it. And I think, yeah, that anger, thanks for bringing that up, Rudy. Um, one thing that I was wondering is for um, both of you, sorry, with Tatiana, for both of you, did, was it your manic episode that led you to a diagnosis? Oh, um, yes. And yeah. I say that is because I had experienced depression a lot in my youth. And so it was really the mania that made me notice something was actually wrong because I kind of thought like, oh, everyone has depression. Like, it's not a big deal. I don't need help for that. But when the mania started happening, that felt so much less in my control. Mm. And honestly, I've always felt my depression easier to manage just because people talk so much more about it. There's so much, so many more resources and research on depression. Whereas mm. when I tried to look for things for mania, I was coming up so short The people weren't talking about it. People weren't identifying useful coping skills for it. And so, especially when I would get past a point where I could identify that I was manic, how was I supposed to help myself? Right. Um, you know? And so my mania was the reason I noticed something was actually wrong going on inside of me, which is how I ended up getting myself to the hospital because I was like the depression I expected and I knew and felt comfortable. And I felt like, okay, even if this is my life forever, I guess, you know, I can manage this. I feel like there's a lot of easy ways to access resources and help if I need it. But for the mania, I did not feel that way at all. It felt like a completely different beast that nobody understood and that nobody was really talking about at the same level as depression. And I was originally diagnosed with depression when I had gone to my PCP and mentioned it. And Something that I've always been really frustrated about is that if I had been screened for mania when I was screened for depression, maybe I could have gotten a proper diagnosis sooner, you know, because, and I think part of the thing is I was diagnosed under 18, which is yeah. considered early onset because typically you have to be 18 to diagnose bipolar disorder one or two from what I understand. And so I've always wondered you know, if they had given me a mania screen and e screening, even if it would have been considered early onset, what could have happened sooner? You know, would I even maybe had more support on my side because my parents weren't necessarily understanding in the beginning. So if I had a doctor who had screened me for mania, maybe they could have advocated for me when I didn't feel like I could. Um, but yeah, my mania definitely is the reason I seeked help because that's how I knew, oh, this is not right. This is not who I yeah. am. Yeah. Wow. And you went on your own. You took yourself. Yeah. 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 My wow. first I drove myself to the ER because I didn't really have the support from my parents at the time. I was 17. Um, and I didn't really have the support that I was hoping for. And I kind of just felt like, well, you know, I've taken care of myself this far. And if nobody advocates for me, then I'm just going to die. So it was really just either take care of myself and be my own advocate or, let this illness kill me. And I didn't want the latter. Wow. Wow. How self-aware at 17. Wow. That, <laughs> that is powerful. Rudy, did your manic episode lead you to your diagnosis? Um, when I, I was 26, when yeah. I first became manic and I dealt with depression pretty much my entire life, 
it wasn't until I had the manic episode where I started putting the pieces together, doing research, reading up on things, talking to other people. And that, and, and it took the crash for me to get help. I was not going to get help when I was manic because I was, was so, and, and just, it just took over me wow. and I loved it at the time. And when I cr had the crash and came back to my psychiatrist and was telling all these things, like she didn't really see me as manic because I didn't right. want to go see a doctor. And so it took some convincing. And finally, I did get the diagnosis and got on the proper medication. But yeah, it was it was a process. And <laughs> thankfully, I found out because I now it, it, it explains a lot. Um, Whereas like now, like, cause I haven't been manic since 2016, wow. like I often question myself, like, am I actually still bipolar? Yeah. And, but like, I still in the back of my head any day now, like it can just happen where I just wake up and I'm manic and then yeah. where do I go from there? So I don't think it's completely behind me. It's still always a possibility, yeah. but it's been what, since 2016, that's a four or seven yeah. years, man. Yeah, yeah. Have you experienced any depression since then? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there was a, there was a small sliver of time where I wasn't depressed and was like just really feeling um, like my best self and loved yeah. myself and was productive and just nothing could really phase me. And obviously, the pandemic eventually wore itself down on me and yeah. um, not being able to be around people a lot, not having as many opportunities to do public speaking and um, all the things that I enjoy doing. And it's just been this slow crawl out of that. And I, yeah. I at least know what it's like to be no longer depressed. I didn't really understand that um, back in the older times. And now I do. And so I'm more hopeful that this depression will eventually um, recede and I'll yeah. get to experience the joys of living again. Yeah, yeah. I know even when I was didn't know it was hypomania, just the thought for me, it was very cyclical. So I knew like, spring is coming, right? Because that's when I would start to go up spring is coming. And, and so I would I would hold on and I would, um, yeah, I would not I, I literally, I didn't realize this was suicidal ideation, because I just thought that it was just just a thought, right? Um, but I remember literally wanting to take something to be able to sleep until I felt better. Right. And uh, I remember I kind of argued with my, with my uh, therapist and she's like, no, like that is not a, a regular thought. That is not, um, uh, yeah, just something that the average person thinks. And so I really had to wrap my head around that. But yeah, I think that if you're someone that's wondering if this might be you, if you're seeing yourself in some of our stories, um, it's really important to not just talk about the depression, to tell um, all like what it's like all year round. Like that helped me in that when I was, when I finally got the help, it, it, I was telling the whole story, right? Because I just like both of you, I just went for help. Uh, you know, at first when I was depressed, because I thought the other part was just me. So do uh, track that or get someone to to track it for you. And sometimes, um, like I live on kind of a high vibration anyways, and know your like, 
know your level, your levels, right? Like I know what my base level is. So I know what a heightened is some people's base level. I know a few folks is so low that their hypomania doesn't seem like hypomania at all. So I think it's really important. And I understand completely that it is difficult to do that when you're in that space. But um, yeah, if you're thinking at all, bring up that that part, the mania. And I was that I was 33, I think. And I had literally gone to the doctor. I even actually brought up bipolar once and, and uh, it was my general practitioner. And he clearly didn't know a lot about mental health things. He said, Nope, you have a degree. You, you take good care of your kids. You, there's no way you would ever have bipolar disorder. So if your GP isn't listening, try and keep going till there's someone, someone that knows. So, yeah, well, I would just love um, so much if you could tell me some strategies or practices or things you have tried that have helped you when you're in a more heightened state. What is, yeah, what are some things that that help you? Um, I would love to, Tatiana, tell me some things that help you. Honestly, most of the things that help me are preventative things, just making sure I'm staying on a healthy sleep schedule, especially, you know, um, the biggest thing that helps me is just being able to identify when a symptom is starting. Mm -hmm. So knowing what is a symptom of beginning to feel manic and keeping an eye out for that. It's kind of exhausting because I feel like I'm kind of always looking for, is this a symptom or is this myself? Is this a symptom or is this a cause of my environment? Um, and so for me, a lot of it is preventative, identifying it before it really starts to get bad, mm. because the truth is that after a certain point, I, I just can't help myself. And yeah. at that time, I have a great support system of people who can identify she is not herself right now, who can help yeah. me. Um, and a part of something that helps them do that is I have a care plan that I create, um, that I share with everyone. And all it is, is a list of my coping skills for mania and depression and ways that I can help myself or they can help myself just come back to a more grounded space. Yeah. Because part of the hard thing when I'm manic, especially is that I don't want the help. And if you tell me that I'm manic, I am just going to tell you to fuck off because that's <laughs> the last thing I want to hear. You, even if I know I'm manic, yeah. I, I want to stay manic because I feel great. I feel yeah. like, you know, why are you trying to stop me from being my true self? Why are you yeah. trying to prevent me from being happy? I'm never happy. Why won't you let me be happy? Yeah. I'm not, manic. I'm just finally my true self. Yeah. And so something that my partner has had to learn with me is that like, the last thing you want to tell me when I'm manic is I think you're manic. Let's go take a hot bath. You know, it's more just like little ways of him trying to slowly be like, oh, do you want to do this instead? Like, Hey, have you, you know, gentle reminders to push me in the right direction? Cause if you just straight out say it, I'm going to think that you're trying to fix me and that you think I'm doing something wrong and I'm going to bolt the other way. So most of my things are preventative, um, just making sure that I stay in a grounded space. And if I'm noticing symptoms that I take the proper steps of self-care, but also let my support system know that, hey guys, I'm not feeling very well. Can you help me look out for these things as they yeah. come? I don't want them to get to that place where I can't take care of myself and I won't let you take care of me. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, you can't see that you're like burning it down, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't see that. I love that you said make a list. Cause I didn't do that for years and years. Um, but uh, what I tried to do is also check your list when you're in the other state, right? Because like you said, we don't recognize. And I think one of the biggest things about getting my diagnosis is that they talk to my partner or my husband as well, because we don't see it all. So I always tell people like, bring someone that knows you um, that will, can see things that, that you can't. What kind of things help you, Rudy, uh, deal with? Yeah, mania, you haven't had it in a while. So maybe what kind of things just help you cope with bipolar um, in general? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely the first time I was manic, I was just completely out of control. Yeah. It's it's actually surprising, like, I didn't get beat up by someone. Um, but I, things that help me in general, I know it sounds kind of cliche, I need to get out into nature I, I got to go for a hike. I, I I have to be, I have to touch grass. Yeah. <laughs> um, I live near the ocean too. So I got to right. hear those waves. Um, I like going for long drives. I just got to, it's funny because sometimes I don't like being in my head too much because then I just overthink. Yeah. And there are times where I need to go somewhere where I can just sit, be still, have no one bother me, don't have my phone near me and really just think about because when I'm depressed, like there's something, there's some need not being met, something missing, something I'm not doing, something that like I need to improve upon or just completely missing from from me, and I need to find that. And mm -hmm. I'm only going to find that by going into here, um, good, bad, ugly, and really being introspective and contemplating what's going on. And yeah. I'm only going to get that by really being thoughtful about it as opposed to just like nothing's wrong i'm just going to keep on doing what i'm doing or yeah. like i don't want to i don't want to think too hard because it's going to bring up ugliness and when i do that that's when i start getting my focus back and start like building plans and try to have something to work on i need something to drive me yeah. if i'm just complete like just directionless that's when i get my darkest and yeah. thankfully now um, I started a new job position that I'm really excited about, and that's giving me that drive. And before that, I, if I didn't get this job, man, I don't know what I would do. Like I would just yeah. be like 10 times as depressed. I would just keep sliding and yeah. down and down and down. So thankfully I have that. Um, but yeah, um, for me being out in nature, introspection, mm -hmm. just getting out there and just getting out of the house like I there's there's no good that happens inside of here <laughs> right too much we've had too much yeah oh I love that you brought that up and um just listening to both of you it's really interesting it, we have to come up with two lists right we have to have a list of what helps us and sometimes they overlap all Venn diagramish. But um, we have to have a list of things that help in this part and in, in this part. And like Rudy said, there's a time where you have to, you know, feel your feelings. And and then there's a time where you have to, you know, take a, take a step back from those feelings, right? And uh, what I heard you say, Rudy, like with your job and stuff, like I find, you know, when I'm depressed, it's like I need some momentum. And then when I'm hypomanic, I need to, to, to go backwards and slow it down. So I think it's really hard for people 
that don't live with bipolar disorder to understand how disorienting and um, like you said, Tatiana, exhausting to, to uh, you know, for it to be such total opposites. And I thought you brought up something um, both of you mentioned, like not knowing, right? And I think that that's, that's really hard. And I think with nature and with the preventative things that we can try and um, not get in the headspace of always wondering, like I was, I've just crawled out of a depression in the past two weeks. And um, it's like, I feel sometimes like I can't even enjoy it and be in the present moment. Cause I'm like, is this getting, is this getting too happy? Am I happy or hypomanic? And I'm like trying to be aware because I can't push that completely out of the picture, but also trying to be in the moment. I think that's my hardest thing about bipolar disorder is being in the moment because I'm always, you know, anxiety is the future and uh, the depression is always, always looking at the past. Well, thank you both so much for joining me and chatting about this. I just adore you both. Um, Rudy and Tatiana are putting beautiful, helpful, actually world-changing information and advocacy projects and, and words and events out there in the world. So I encourage you to go check out um, everything that they're doing. I'll put their handles um, in uh, the show notes. And yeah, just thank you. Thank you again. Go back if you want to hear their full story. I've interviewed them individually and just had such powerful, powerful conversations about that. And I know um, it sometimes might take me a while. I'm not sure it might take them a while, but I know we're open to um, questions. And if you want to send it to me, I can pass it along and ask ask my friends. So thank you both so much. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a happy World Bipolar Day. Yes, you too. It's our day. I'm like, I'm going to eat cake. I'm going <laughs> to eat cake. I will take the celebration where I can. Nice. Thanks again. This is Bipolar. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This Is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon to be future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies. And we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.